That song was written by Andre Crouch. He's known as the father of gospel music. But I might add, when he started his career as a gospel music singer, and he deviated from the normal Christian tenets that had been in place, they almost ran him out of the church because he changed something, because he modernized music soon and very soon. Almost got him kicked out of the church. Times change. You can't imagine a church now without singing soon and very soon. Not one of our churches anyway. You can't imagine a church now without singing my tribute. Change comes. But who we're singing to doesn't change. Who we're celebrating doesn't change. And the truth of the matter is, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to get up every day singing soon and very soon. We're going to see the king. We're in a moment of change in the church. But we'll never change who we're celebrating. We'll never change to whom honor and glory is due. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. My tribute. We've been in a sermon series. Before I do that, I want to celebrate somebody in here before I get into this message properly. I want to celebrate the, uh, the Ramsey Junior Varsity Volleyball Team. For going, for going into dangerous territory and winning a championship yeah. over in Boaz. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing something when you go to somebody and beat them on their own turf. Yeah. We're still celebrating victories like that, y'all. It's important. They went to Boaz, Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> and so we've been preaching and praying and talking and fasting and learning about prayer this month. Our emphasis this year again has been on prayer. It's about the fourth year we've concentrated on prayer exclusively for the month of September and if you don't know how much we're concentrating on prayer this month, then, uh, then you're missing out on um, a lot of the communications that we got. How many ways? We, we, we're talking about prayer in that we wrote a prayer devotional, the church, and published it. It's on Amazon.com. That's not our purpose to put it on Amazon.com, but it's blessing us every day. During the announcements, you heard day 15 of the prayer journal, which simply happened to be written by Cameron Davenport. Each day has been written by the name of the prayer journalist, Know Him. You can get the e-version, the digital version, or the hard copy version. Um, each day has been written by a member of the church, and there are 30 days included in it. I can hardly wait to see it every day when it comes out. For those who haven't gotten either version on our daily communication, the e-blast we sent out, we send the video with the video bump from the person who wrote it, and we send the days, the days 
devotion, for day's devotion. It's been a blessing. Members outside the church are eager to tell me how much they're enjoying the daily devotional. They're celebrating this month with us. Some of you have also committed to, to uh, increasing your emphasis on prayer this month. But in order to do that effectively, then you need to incorporate fasting with it, which simply means you need to put some things aside that draw your attention away from, from prayer. If prayer is talking to God, fasting is listening to him. So we're fasting in three different ways. We're fasting physically. That means you're limiting some physical intake of food if your doctor says it's okay. It also means we are fasting technologically, social media fast for some folks. Some people are drowning in social media addiction, whether they admit it or not. I believe you can be addicted to social media just like you can be addicted to anything else. And maybe you're not on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram. Maybe you play video games all the time. Or let's, let's go a little bit deeper. Maybe you got a rotary phone at home and you stay on it too much. I don't know. Whatever the case is, technology sometimes can get us, get us messed up. Maybe you're just at your desktop computer too long every day. And then the third way we're fasting is financially. We're asking people, if they will, to limit excessive, unnecessary spending for the month. Unnecessary spending. Take those funds, dedicate them to a greater purpose. Um, than just a Popeye's chicken sandwich, if you will. Yeah. We need to make sure we are not spending frivolously. I ain't got nothing against Popeye's. Uh, obviously, I ain't got nothing against Popeye's. But those are the ways that we're fasting. We're also praying through our church congregation role every day. Every day on the prayer.com app, we've listed members of our church since the, day, the first day. And we have listed various members of the church every day, and we'll, by the end of the month, have prayed through the entire church congregation. Um, uh, so you're on there, whether you know it or not. Whether you have the app or not, everybody who's on there who's connected to the 45th Street uh, community, it's about 200 people, are praying for you every day every day when we put it out there. So I don't know if you're included in that, but if not, you can get the pray.com app. It's in your worship your worship folder. And lastly, on Wednesdays, every, uh, every Wednesday in the month, we have our weekly prayer call, 6 o'clock on Wednesday morning. Various members of our church have been leading us in corporate prayer during that time. All you do is dial in. It's free. Start your day out with some corporate prayer. Some kind of way you ought to be connected to prayer. Some kind of way you ought to be trying to increase your connection uh, to the Lord through the medium that he's given us called prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I've arrived yet when it comes to praying. I don't feel like I'm in the place that I'd like to be when it comes to praying. Maybe you're already there and you say, I'm good. But if there's something you can do to grow, my suggestion to you is that you take one of these opportunities during this month where there's some concentrated activity and get a little bit closer to the Lord. I know he hasn't moved. If there is a disconnect, it's us. We simply haven't drawn close 
enough to him. How many of you, like me, learned to pray at your bedside by your parents or some adult? When they taught you a primary prayer um, uh, before you went to sleep. Anybody but me? I'm, I know. Raise your hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the prayer that I want to lead you through this week, we're praying through the Psalms, reminds us of that prayer. If you would, I want you to turn to Psalm 4. Psalm 4. This is a Bible-believing, preaching church, and we'll walk through this psalm and see what lessons we can learn from this psalm. We've been, the last two weeks, talking about different psalms and how they have helped us. The first week, we talked about Psalm 51, which was a cry of repentance from David after he had been caught with Bathsheba and that whole situation. And then last week, we turned to Psalm 73, which was, I think, a testimony that a whole lot of folk can have. Asaph, the music director, had gotten disenchanted with church and wrote 73 when the Lord showed him the outcome of evil people's lives. And he went back to the church. And he said, and then I went back to church. What a testimony. And today we're going to talk, today, this is another, as the Bible would say, yours might say, well, a Psalm of David in there, but, but, but the truth of the matter is, this prayer, uh, historically, some people believe may have at some point been joined to Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is known as a morning prayer. Morning prayer, referred to. Your Bible might even have that prompt in it, depending on the one you have, the version you have. But Psalm 4 has a subtitle of a, an evening prayer, an evening prayer of trust in God. Let's see if we can talk, see what the psalmist is talking about in this place. If you'll allow me to read it for you. Hear me, O God, when I, hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? But know that the Lord hath set apart, apart, apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There may be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Eight verses, powerful verses, powerful verses. How many of you, like me, agree that one of the best things you can get in any 24-hour period is a good night's sleep? Yeah. 
How many of you also find that that good night's sleep can be elusive sometimes? You just can't find the peace that comes with getting a good night's sleep. This psalmist is talking about just such a thing. Come on up here. Come on, come on. Don't be shy. Come on, come on. Come on. Amen. So this psalm was written to the chief musician. Some of us don't know what that means, but let me see if I can explain it to you. When David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel and enshrined it in the temple, the temporary temple that had been built, he established a pattern of celebration, music service that should accompany the worship experience. He identified various individuals within the kingdom who would lead in that worship service. And specifically, he identified Asaph, who we've heard about, who we talked about last week, Jeduthun, Jeduthun, and Heman. They were all kings. That's easy for you to say. He identified them and their families as being the song leaders. In all, with all the family members that came from those three individuals and the other uh, uh, members of their family, there were 288 folk who helped in the song service for the church. They served in lots, and they served in groups, and they cast lots in order to determine when those groups would serve in the temple. This was a normal pattern of the Israelites. So you see them, they come in, it'd be their turn to perform or serve in the worship service, and they would have the music service. They would use harps and lyres, and, and, and they used all manner of instruments in order to have worship service during that time. And, and, and various of them, including David, would write lyrics for the music that was played. That's what the psalm book is. It's simply a song, a song book. And it's from those lyrics that we can see them pouring the hearts, pouring their hearts out, and their lives tend to fall out in the words that they write. That's true of any songwriter. How many of you know you can probably go back and track any songwriter's career and see his life unfold by the songs he writes? That's simply how it is. And we can tell in this instance that uh, David, who is the author of this one, is going through something. Now, there are some who will suggest that this is one of those times when David is going through a very rough period because of the words he's written. Somebody here probably understands. Let me tell you what I think he was going through. Chronologically, I believe he was in trouble because his throne was in jeopardy. Yeah, his throne was in jeopardy. Look at this, the same David who had been neglected when they were selecting the ones to come on the throne, who had to finally fight his way to the throne after Saul crazily tried to kill him all his life. This was after he was appointed, I mean anointed by the Lord to be the king. He finally makes it to the throne, and the challenge to his throne doesn't come from outside, but it comes from inside. You see, in this psalm, David is struggling because the challenge to his throne comes from somebody he made, his own son. Absalom has found himself 
in favor with many of the folks in the kingdom and is trying to take the throne from his daddy. David finds himself, at one point, we read a lot of Psalms where, Saul, where David is running from Saul and trying to hide from Saul. Thank God for Saul's loving son, Jonathan, who would take care of him. But in this instance, it's not a loving son, it's a jealous son who is trying to take the throne from his father. And it's got David with his back against the wall. And there's a lot going on in the kingdom supporting this political intrigue. I told you before, we only look at the Bible one-dimensionally. We don't look at the Bible in terms of real folks' lives. There's economics in the Bible. There's emotion in the Bible. There's a whole lot of entertainment and energy in the Bible. And until you look at it from that context, you can't really understand why would this man, man sit down and write this psalm that night. Because just like me and you, he was going through something. He had issues and he needed to put pen or quill to, to, to scroll and write something down that was going to help him. How many of y'all have ever engaged in just journaling your experiences and writing down how you feel? And even if you don't journal it, you can document, you can remember what you were going through during that time. Well, that's all this is right now. And David tells us a lot about his experience. And today I believe it's instructive to understand that David was having trouble sleeping at one point. Because he was on the run. He was going everywhere trying to get away from somebody who was struggling to harm him. But when he starts to write this psalm, and I want to run through it real quickly for you, and then I'm going to get out of your way because I believe you'll understand how, how it strengthens us. He used what for us today, not for him then, is a familiar refrain. You and I remember the kids' prayer, the young prayer, and it's not a youth prayer. Actually, old folks need to pray it too. Okay. You need to understand it too. But we don't know that this wasn't always just a popular prayer. It finally entered into the American system from, from, from England. From England. It had been a part of a prayer that children would sing, I mean, children would say, and it simply read, Now I lay me down to sleep. Y'all remember that, right? Yeah. Everybody remembers that. But you probably don't remember the first part of it, all right? Because it started Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Bless the bed that I lie on. There are four corners to my bed. Four angels round my head, one to watch and one to pray, and two to bear my soul away. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. First appeared in 1737 in writing, in, 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 in that form, in a primer in New England. And since then, it's become a part of how we teach and train our babies that when you go to sleep, you're not in charge. Amen. When you go to sleep, someone else is in, in charge. And you and I, with the weight of the world, know that being able to give our problems over to somebody means that we are trusting to somebody else. That's in charge. I hope you hear what I'm saying now. Most of us can't sleep at night because we won't give up control. 
won't give up control of the situations in life. And so David, and I want to talk just, just briefly about now I lay me down to sleep. That's all. That's all. Now I lay me down to sleep. The last time I preached this sermon was at a funeral. It was at a funeral for a toddler who had killed himself. Ultimate rest. But just as it has application in that context, it also has application in the context of your life every day. So I ask myself, who do you rest in? Who are you depending on? Who is helping you through life? The first thing David tells us in this psalm is he knows enough to call upon. He says, I know you hear me when I call on you, my God. And some of us struggle with who's actually listening to us when we call. We wonder if anybody does hear us when we call. Can I tell you this? You got to have faith to believe that when you pray, someone is listening. And David had that kind of faith. How do I know that? Because he had had past victories with this same God. And I want to tell you that today. I want you to remember the past mercy or grace that God has shown you when you go to him for future help. Yeah, the songwriter said it this way at another place. They said, each victory helps us another to win. In other words, I can rest on the fact that he helped me before and believe in that he'll help me, help me again. So it's not hard to imagine, Anthony, that the God who helped you six times won't help you on the seventh time. And so when you can start counting the opportunities in life that God has had to bless you, you can start resting assured that he did it before, and I believe he'll do it again. God doesn't do anything halfway. And when he says you belong to him, he means you belong completely to him. So there's no reason not to believe that the God who says you belong to him won't take care of you. You got to have faith enough to believe that most of the time uh, the power in prayer is lasting. I mean, it's lacking because there's no passion in the prayer. There's no passion in it. And so you can't get power when it's a feckless or when it is a pitiful prayer. God wants to know that this is important to you as well. He cares deeply about us, but he wants to know that you care deeply about the circumstances too. Look, he won't stop providing as long as there's a need that you have because he is the one who is tasked with providing for us. Look at this now, look at this. You're his if you belong to him. That's like a father not taking care of his child. He's going to care for you because that's his obligation. The name that David uses to address the Lord here, he says, God of my righteousness. It's not used anywhere else 
in Scripture. In other words, David says that you're the God who is the author of my connection to you. The reason I have a relationship with you is because of you. You are the one who maintains me. You're the one who's my judge. You're the one who is my rewarder. You're the God I'm calling on. In other words, he calls into focus everything that God is to him. I wouldn't have a relationship except you started and blessed me with it. You're the God I'm calling on right now. And then he reminds him, he says, in times past, God, you've taken care of me. You've enlarged my territory. You've, you've enlarged me when I was in distress. The terminology that's used in this place is of one who's in a military fight and all of the enemy is closing in and they've gotten strung out and God was called upon and God increased the space between him and the enemy. He says, I remember when you got my enemies off me before, Lord. I'm calling on you. If you did it before, I sure enough believe that you can do it again. You're the God that I need. He said, he said have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He said, even though, and look at this, and sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we have this spirit of entitlement that God is supposed to do something for us. Can I tell you now? He doesn't have to do anything for you. I'm not the one here to tell you that God wants everything blessed and wondrous to happen for you, and you do nothing. You have no responsibility. I'm not here to tell you that right now because that's not how he operates. God honors faith. From the beginning of the Bible and throughout, faith is the connector that keeps God blessing you and taking care of you. And he said, even though I know that my enemies could destroy me, and the fact of the matter is I've been sinful enough for you to let them destroy me, I'm asking you in the abundance of your mercy to have mercy on me. Hear my prayer when I'm talking to you. Don't turn your back on me even though I've walked away from you many times, even though I haven't done what you asked me to do plenty of times, I'm asking you to have mercy on me. I haven't been good. If I had been good, then I'd say you owe me. But since I haven't been good, I'm saying have mercy on me. Yeah, I don't deserve it, but do it anyway because I'm your child. How many of y'all got children in here that were bad even when you told them you were going to tear them up? Yeah, if you do it, I got you. When they came back bad and worse than bad, and you still blessed them. You had mercy on them. Why? Because they were your child. And in fact, you got mad at somebody else when they said, look how bad your child is. Why? Because they were yours. And I can do with mine the way I want to. Guess what? I belong to the Lord. I can be the most awful something down here. But it's up to him. He wants to bless me. That's between me and him. He said, have mercy on me, Lord. First he starts talking to God. And look, then he turns and starts talking to the men around him. The ones showing out. Look, look, look. He said, he says, he said to the men, O oh, ye sons of men, how long, how long will you turn my glory to shame? 
How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing or, or, or ribbing me or cracking on me, talking about me? How long will you seek after false gods? How long? Some of y'all asking the same thing, how long? How long y'all gonna keep messing with me? How long you gonna keep your foot on my neck? How, how long are you gonna keep on talking about me? You, 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 you done got to the point where you don't talk about me behind my back. You talk about me in my face. You post it on my page on Facebook. Yeah, you send me the tweet. You got that awesome and you just, that awful. Yeah, you're not gonna even try to hide. Some folk at least will throw a rock and hide their hand. No, 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 you got that bad in my life. You stand up and send me a smile, a meme of you talking about me. How long are you going to do this? Look, 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 look. He said, how long, Lord? How long are they going to be able to do this to me? They've been talking about me too long. And I know, he said, that they're foolish. He said, I know that they, uh, they, uh, they worship idols. I know these things. But it still hurts. It still hurts that I'm trying to live righteous. I'm still trying to live for you. And yet they're dragging my name through the mud. And look, they're talking about my victories as if they were nothing. I need you, Lord. And that's why he's saying, have mercy on me. Not only that, they're lying on me. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's one thing if you talk about it and you don't like me. But why you got to lie on me? Making up stuff that other folk believe. How long? How long? And so he says, but I got to remember who I belong to. Verse 3 reminds him, remember who you belong to when you find yourself in this situation. When you can't get any peace, when you can't get any rest, you got to remember who you belong to. Verse 3 says, but know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. So we might go through something. Can I tell you they crucified Jesus? Doesn't mean because you go through something you don't belong to him. Some of us are going to have to experience something. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. Stop believing this lie from the enemy that your life has got to be a bed of roses. Because it's not going to be a bed of roses. But that doesn't mean you don't belong to him. It doesn't mean he doesn't care for you. Some of us think we got to have popcorn and bubblegum in our life all day long. And I came to tell you that it doesn't work that way said, the Lord will hear me when I call. I don't have to worry about him not listening to me. He might not do what I ask him to do. He might not pull it back when I ask him to. Look at Jesus in the garden. He said, there's another way. If there's another way, Lord, I'm asking you to, to let it be. But he had faith enough in God to say, but not my will. Do you have faith enough to let the Lord have his way in your life? And then he reached and says, stand in awe. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Stand in awe. David speaks of a practice that has gotten really prevalent in our community. And I want to admonish you to be careful not to pick up the latest thing. Yoga and all this stuff that folk doing right now. All this transcendental uh, uh, meditation, 
Let me tell you the difference in the meditation that's talked about in the Bible and the meditation they talk about. In this current philosophy of meditation, and, and, and y'all really need to be careful because you don't, you don't know the difference between that and Zumba and everything else. You just think it's part of, part of exercise or whatever. I, I'm serious. The yoga and the meditation that they're talking about, they tell you to empty your mind. Empty your mind. Well, can I tell you, when you empty your mind, that leaves a whole lot of room for other stuff to come up in your mind. Yeah, good and bad. When they say empty your mind, evil can run up in your mind. But the meditation that I'm talking about, when we say, we say, fill your mind with the Spirit of God. Fill your mind with the Word of the Lord. Put the good that God gives you in your mind. Leave no space for the enemy or the evil one to come in because you have filled yourself. That's the difference in our meditation. Chew on this. As Reverend Beverly used to say all the time, get you a passage of Scripture and ruminate on it. Like a, a cow is chewing his chew on it. That's the meditation I'm talking about. And then he moves on and he says that the psalmist is bringing the prayers of the congregation to the Lord's attention by saying, let the light of your face fall all over us, Lord. We always talk about this little light of mine. Can I tell you that you don't have any independent light? Your light flows from his light. His light is a reflection of you if you let it shine. You can't make it shine. You just got to let it shine. You can cover it up so it doesn't shine. But if it's shining, it's his light because he is light. And then we get to verse 7. This short passage of scripture, we get to verse 7 and 8, and the whole mood changes. This David who was in distress, Reg, this David who was struggling, who's upset, wondering, when are these folk going to leave me alone? When are these folk going to stop talking about me? When are they going to stop running my name in the ground and dragging it through the mud? This same day turns. And in verse 7, something's happened. I wonder if he took the same advice that he was given to the men who had been talking about him in verses 4 and 5. Maybe he found himself outside of the difficult situation. It's almost as if he wrote verses 1 through 6 one day, and then the next day he had to come back and put verse 7 and 8 on board because things had changed. In other words, the Lord had come through. The Lord had blessed him, and he writes in this, he said, But thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased more than in the bumper, when the bumper crop came in. I'm happy as I can be. And he said, and I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. Mood changes. Because he realized that God had always been good, had never been bad, that once again, I've got joy in my heart because God has got me in his hand. And that's how you and I are able to sleep at night. Because we're not resting in our own bosom, we're resting in his bosom. Can I tell you that there was one theologian who said, don't go to bed and babysit the world. Stop trying to babysit the world. 
Yeah, yeah. What does that mean, Andre? That means you and I, we go to bed at night and we lay up and we worry about our children and our grandchildren and our bills and our health, and that's just in the house. We're not to mention all the stuff that's going on in the community. We got all this stuff that we're concerned about. Instead of trying to solve every single problem that you and I can't solve, how about this? Stop trying to babysit the whole world and let the Lord take care of it. Relax. Rest in his peace. In fact, the terminology that's used in this passage in the original verse is the word shalom, which simply means peace. Rest in not our peace. Not our peace. Man will mess his peace up all the time. You, you don't want any man giving peace. You want the peace that comes from God. That's, that's true peace. You want his peace. The same peace that Jesus Christ taught he would leave us. He said, I leave you my peace. And then when you rest in his bosom, when you rest in his peace, you'll find yourself sleeping, can I say, like a baby? Like a baby who doesn't have a clue in the world. I've been to some very loud events before. I mean, outside concerts where the music is so loud you can't even think. And the older I get, the worse it is on my hearing. I'm like, please turn it down. But it never fails that somewhere in the crowd, somebody walking around with a baby on their shoulder, and the baby is just laid out, just asleep, not worried about anything in the world. Why? Because that baby has the peace of knowing that the one who has him is in control. You and I need that kind of peace. That kind of security. There's a story told of a man who wanted to bless his grandmother with an extraordinary gift for her birthday. She was about to hit her 88th birthday. And he thought, my grandma would love this treat. And so he said, Grandma, I'm going to take you up for a helicopter ride. And Grandma took a deep breath and said, oh, my Lord. But because she loved her grandson so much, she said, okay. So they went up in the helicopter, and Grandma seemed to be okay. They went up, and they went over, and Grandma was able to see her farm from way up high and able to see the crops and the cows and everything. Looked so wonderful, Arthur. But the man noticed that while Grandma had a smile on her face, he looked over at her knuckles, and they were as white as could be. She was struggling trembling and so they finally came on back down to earth and grandma walked out the helicopter and all the family was there to celebrate with and they said grandma how was it she said oh it was fine she was it was fine everything looked so different up there she said but to be honest i never let my weight down hear me grandma couldn't get more control her destiny when she was up there in the plane, I mean helicopter, but she wasted the whole trip by thinking if she let her whole weight down, she could control what was happening. I hope you hear what I'm saying here now. I hope you hear me. Some of y'all wasting the whole trip by thinking you control your own destiny and you won't let your weight down. You sitting up with your knuckles white throughout life can't breathe, can't enjoy, can't
can't experience what God has for you because you won't let your weight down. Came to tell you today to let your weight down. Rest in him. Look, 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 look. Jesus was on the cross. And he could have declared, Lord, we got to go another way. We got to do another way. This is simply too much. Don't let him do this to me, Lord. Avenge your son. But he didn't. The Bible says that it wasn't, historians say that it wasn't unusual for the Romans to come and break the legs of someone who was being crucified. It was really torture when they did that. The reason they would break his, the person's legs is so that they could not draw strength enough to, to draw a breath. If their legs were broken, they couldn't, they couldn't breathe. They would suffocate. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus simply let his weight down. Put all his weight on the cross in his father. Even though it meant he was going to die, he gave it all to the Lord. He didn't try to breathe anymore. In fact, cast, he simply said at some point, it's finished. It's all on you, Lord. Can I tell you? It's because he put all his weight on the cross that you and I can put all our weight on him. Stop carrying all these loads around yourself. Today is the day. Trust in him. He died for you. He died completely for you. Now's the time for you if you've never felt that you can give anyone else that kind of trust. I'm asking you to trust Jesus Christ. Abide in him. Live in him. Let him live in you. Let him be your God. I'm empowered right now as an ambassador of Jesus Christ to extend an invitation to you to come and to be a part of our kingdom, the kingdom of God. He is our leader. He's our father. His son came and died for us. He died for you. Whether you knew it or not, he died for you. If you've just come to that realization, then I invite you to accept his invitation to eternal life. While our choir stands to sing this song, while our elders come and greet you this morning, the doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now. You can join this church. You can join as a candidate for baptism. We'll baptize you as a new believer. That's never happened. Or if you feel like this might be a place you can grow, then we extend that invitation to you as well and welcome you as a new member of our church. Whatsoever the case, the doors of our church are open. Whosoever will, let them come right now.